The following podcast is a Dear Media production. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Uh 99% of beef produced in the U.S., is produced in what's called a confinement animal feeding operation, which is a lot, typically cement or dirt. Essentially, the animals are enclosed in a pen. It's about 20 by 20 feet, and there's 15 to 20 plus animals in that pen. They're fed a highly intensive diet. So they take them from effectively prepubescent animals right off their moms, and they fatten on a very intensive, this maladaptive diet. So when I say maladaptive, it means something you didn't evolve to eat. Boy, oh boy, do we have a tasty episode for you. That clip is from our guest of the show today, Anya Fernald. On this episode, we're talking about red meat, the truth behind red meat, sustainable eating, farming, all sorts of different things. My name is Michael Bostic. I'm a serial entrepreneur and the CEO of the Dear Media Podcast Network. And across from me, my co-host, my star, Lauren Everts. I am Lauren Everts, and I love a Bel Campo burger. <laughs> Guys, we're about to talk to you guys about... You're going to get hungry on this episode. I'm, I'm hungry even doing the intro to this episode. Um, there's one thing I want to address, though, before we get into it. Something I want to talk about. Someone slid into Lauren's DMs today and gave her a good scolding. She has been battering me for years. I'm a beaten down husband. I've been abused. I've been tormented. And I don't know if I can take it much longer. Yeah, someone said that I was uh, mean to my husband. But I feel like... <laughs> If you know us in person, this is our love language. If you know this, I am hurt. I'm 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 asking for help. This is this is me no. crying to the audience no. to come and save me. I don't have thick skin. You like it. I'm withering away. It's how we do foreplay. You know, we we like to just uh, tease each other. We like to keep it witty and funny. I do not know how to take a joke. I don't know anything about comedy. I don't know anything <laughs> about sarcasm. And I'm really hurting over here. All right. Well, I think Michael's fine, guys. Someone slid into my DMs and said that, you know, you're a little mean to your husband. She's a straight up abusive to me. And I am not abusive to him. He's very well taken care of. And in fact, last night I literally fed you and then put you to bed. And I won't give my tips and tricks on how to put you to bed, but it's a very specific way that you're very satisfied with. I was satisfied with that. So yeah, you know, you take the good with the bad, everyone. I got to take the abuse to get the to get the you know the favors Don't later. Like I got to I got to take it. All right. Just kidding. Anyways, guys, we are excited. And if you didn't get the sarcasm there, then I don't know what you're doing listening to the show. Um. Anyways, we have an exciting episode today with the guest that came highly recommended after we fell in love with her restaurant, the Bel Campo Meat Co. Lauren and I. I don't know how many burgers we've eaten from Bel Campo in the next in the last like three months, but it's been a lot. Okay. So here's the wild thing. Our friend Khalil, who's been on this podcast, if you haven't listened to this episode, you have to go back and listen. It's one of my favorites. Took us to Belcampo with his girlfriend, and we sat there and we tried all this different kind of meat. Now, through this whole pregnancy, I have not been big on meat. It's turned me off and grossed me out. This has been the only meat that I can eat. And we'll get into why my body is telling me like not to have other meats. And I'll give you an example. I had In-N-Out probably like I would say four weeks ago, I felt so sick afterwards. This has been the only kind of meat I have craved. 
And I know it's legit because my chihuahua screams when we eat it. Michael, she throws herself against the wall. You're here in this episode. I, I saw Lauren dive into liver. <laughs> like she like dove in and licked the plate. I've was, never eaten liver in my life. Listen, the baby knows what it wants. I'm so, listening to my body. So guys, here we go. Who is Anya Fernald? Anya Fernald is a sustainable food expert and the co-founder and CEO of the Bel Campo Meat Co. She has appeared as a judge on the Food Network, Iron Chef America, and the next Iron Chef. And now, most recently on the Skinny Confidential, him and her with that. Anya, welcome to the show. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Anya Fernald in the studio. We cannot stop eating the Bel Campo burgers. Throughout Lauren's pregnancy, we've probably each had... I'd say 20 burgers, I think. Maybe, I maybe ate more. them three days in a row, you guys. Only in I, bed. Maybe, maybe more. I might just be trying to downplay it a little <laughs> bit because I, I'm ashamed of how many burgers I've eaten. I don't really have an excuse, though. I just like them. You know. It's empathetic. Yeah, I'm empathetic. not pregnant. But. I cannot stop eating them. I've been eating them in bed in the dark. It's really creepy. And my chihuahuas go crazy. So... I would hypothesize that in your pregnancy, you get access. It's like a gift. You get access to greater intuition on a lot of fronts. And a lot of ways prepares you for being a parent, you know, um, but these cravings that we feel in pregnancy, my theory, you know, for both of my kids, I had strong cravings. And I think it's about your intuitions guiding you towards healthy food and you are being taught by your body what to feed yourself. You know, we actually have deep, deep intuition about food in our DNA. You know, until a couple hundred years ago, food was almost exclusively how we healed ourselves, right? And now we're fed this nutritionally impoverished food. All the food we eat is a fraction of the protein and micronutrients that it was just a generation ago. And so we're questing for that. So I think these these cravings that we get when women talk about pregnancy cravings, I'm always like, run into it. Don't be afraid because you're actually, your body is telling you very clearly it's tapping into deep wisdom. Okay, but what about the nostalgic brownies that I'm eating too? What wow. about that? You also are under an elevated caloric need, right? The, yesterday I was bawling, crying to Michael about being bloated and feeling fat while I was making brownies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you my keto brownie recipe. I have a bomb keto brownie recipe. I mean, like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tread lightly here because you know there's a lot of hormones going on. But she was looking at me and, and crying to me and saying to herself that as she had the spatula icing the brownies. <laughs> And he like, gently Dang. looks at me and he goes, Lauren, you're making brownies as you're saying this. If this was anyone else, you would tell him to put down the spatula. <laughs> That's amazing. Which is fine, you know. And then I started crying because he called me out about it. <laughs> but it was, one, it was one of the rare times I actually kind of saw her like recess into herself and not say anything else. She knew. She's like, you know. so, so how did you get into this? So I have worked in animal agriculture my whole career. I was a really early adopter into food. So at uh, 21, when I graduated from college, I moved to Europe and I became a cheesemaker. And I was at the time, you know, I graduated from college in 98. So it was the height of low fat. I was on a super low fat diet. That was what everyone was doing in the 90s. But I was I was personally interested in baking and cheesemaking and food, but I didn't want to like be a chef. I felt like there was something calling me to connect with the earth, learn more deeply about food. And I traveled enough in Europe to, to realize there was something there that kind of drew me. So I, I got this fellowship. I moved to Europe. I started working in dairies as a cheesemaker. And I actually had a pretty radical health transformation, immediately lost weight on a diet that was exactly the opposite of what I'd been coached 
that was healthy for me. So I was working in dairies and I was eating like 2000 calories of cheese a day. And a lot of, you know, physical labor and movement and animal agriculture. So you're milking and things, lots of salami, lots of cheese. I had been a vegetarian for nine years. Oh, wow. So I had the whole vegetarian suite. I had like TMI, but frequent UTIs. I had uh, flaky nails. I had really dry skin. I had tons of split ends. I had actually pretty fluctuating moods. Were you raised vegetarian? I was not, but I became a vegetarian for the same reasons that I started a meat company, which is I love animals and care about the earth and wanted to, I I was concerned and the the trigger for me on becoming a vegetarian, I still remember the day was learning that it was 12 pounds of grain to make one pound of meat. And it was like the Ethiopian famine at the time. Like, oh God, I can't do that. You know, like those kids could have that. Then I learned later in life when I started working in dairies and living in Europe, like, oh, cows don't have to eat grain. It's actually maladaptive for them, makes them super sick, bloated Mm. and inflamed. The same thing, you know, highly processed diets and maladaptive diets do to us. And I learned that whole story and I'm like, well, give me the meat, but give me the good stuff. So Lord, I had this massive change in my own health. I was much more high energy. My moods kind of evened out. I felt extremely focused. It was like I had just been given this gift of a different type of health. I actually got a job then working in Sicily with a group of cheesemakers. And then I got gravitated towards the marketing and finance side of things. And I became the director of a microfinance program for small-scale food producers in Northern Italy. Wow. So that was all before I was 30. So I had a pretty rapid career because I, you know, I became fluent in Italian. I was really well-versed in a lot of different styles of artisan food. You know, when I came back to the U.S. in 2006, been away seven years. I had a totally different perspective, but I actually came into the U.S. right as we came back, right as the sort of artisan food movement starting to percolate. So I came back thinking, wow, I actually have built some skills where I can change the system and be an agent of change for healthier food. Because what I saw in Europe was that actually the less affluent you were, the more likely you were to have a garden to cook more frequently. It was actually things that people did who didn't have the resources to go out. And you saw a correlation with healthy eating? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was an amazing phase of industrialization because I actually lived in a really rural area of Italy. Where, where was it? At first in Sicily, in Ragusa, southeastern okay. Sicily. Yeah, yeah. It was just an amazing experience for me. And also just lived in a town where on the weekends people would go forage for herbs and forage for meats and food. So I would go out and forage. So just stuff that's now coming to the mainstream as something that's of interest. But I got a real sense of like intuitive eating. There are people eating herbs medicinally, um, people healing themselves through food seasonal eating so that you eat certain foods in certain seasons and then not again, in part because it's right, but also part because of what it does for your body at that time. You know, you're heading into the cold season, you start eating broths. Also things like finishing every meal with a cup of bone broth, something I learned in Italy. So Finishing, not starting. Finishing. Ah. Why, why is finishing? In that culture, the, and it's actually true in Korea as well, think of it as closing off your stomach after you've digested a lot. So it's like you leave the last sort of memory in your stomach of the residue of collagen. That's not what they call, but basically that you're soothing your stomach after a large meal. I want to take a portion, you know, we're going to go into a lot. There's so many places to go with you. I have like endless notes here, but I want to take a portion to discuss red meat, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of myths, a lot of preconceived notions. A lot of people are confused. Do you eat it? Do you not? What's the right type of red meat? What's the wrong type of red meat? That's so fascinating. I didn't realize you were a vegetarian before and you, you know, obviously have a farm and you've done sustainable butchering and all this stuff. So like, let's start with what is the sustainable way to eat red meat if you're going to? If you're going to eat red meat... You need to be looking for grass-fed and grass-finished for both lamb and beef, which I consider the major categories of red meat. So 99% of beef produced in the U.S. is produced in what's called a confinement animal feeding operation, which is a lot 
typically cement or dirt. Essentially, the animals are enclosed in a pen. It's about 20 by 20 feet, and there's 15 to 20 plus animals in that pen. They're fed a highly intensive diet. Now, they're not there their whole lives. They're there from about, it depends on the different operation, but around, let's say, 10 months to 18 months. So they take from, from effectively prepubescent animals right off their moms, and they fatten them on a very intensive, this maladaptive diet. So when I say maladaptive, it means something you didn't evolve to eat, Yep. right? I consider a lot of the American diet maladaptive, maladaptive. for humans yep. too, right? So, but they, we have a totally analogous system for how we raise animals. Rumen, right, the gut of the cow is very large. It's evolved to eat high fiber, so bulky, big things. Five stomachs, so it can take this super rough food and slowly process it into something digestible that can be converted into energy for the animal, right? Then there's also the kind of woo parts of that because the animals move around, right? They actually seek out. If they're feeling sick, they will gravitate towards bitter herbs. That's documented in ruminants like beef and, and lamb. They will go and seek out herbs that will heal them. So they're actually interacting in a natural environment, eating an adaptive evolutionary diet. Let's toggle to the picture of the American system, which is in a CAFO. They're enclosed in a pen. There's no grass. They're in a highly stressful environment, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're eating this very poor diet. It's like living in a city <laughs> in the U.S. But think about it for yourself. If you were to eat only Fritos for 10 months compared to eating kale, chard, spinach in rotation of what's seasonal, right? Yep. And some probiotics in the mix. So where are you going to be leaner? Obviously the latter. Or you're probably going to be happier and healthier, probably the latter. And what are you going to need if you're on the former program is some serious antibiotics, right? So they're actually dosed with antibiotics, not because they're sick, but they're dosed preventatively to ensure that they don't get sick because they are so ill. You know, E. coli, we hear about a lot. E. coli makes cows sick. Oh. It's bad for them too. Mm -hmm. It's so prevalent in our system because those animals in those confinement operations are being fed food that's so bad for them that they develop this very bad bacterial culture in their stomachs. And they're having diarrhea and vomiting too. And this practice is what primarily gives red meat such a bad name, right? So yeah, the, the issue with that, and this little bit more tweaks on that too, if you, yep. no, you no, can no. look online for this too, you know, it's totally legal to feed lots of different candy waste to beef. So they actually fed whole candy that's been damaged or is overdue in their wrappers. Like what's a like a, like a Snickers bar? Like, yeah. Like they just give it to the, the cows? In their wrapper. Oh shit. It's also legal and common to use plastic shavings as a fiber additive. The dense diet is so bad for them, they throw in plastic shavings, which is non-regulated for BPA, not regulated for food. Sawdust is also common. Jesus. Chicken manure is used as well. There's some nutritional value. So they're basically processing garbage, literally garbage, candy that you can't sell. Right? I also have this weird theory, and tell me if I'm crazy. When the animals are treated so badly, their cortisol's up, right? That's not a weird theory. That's it's totally like, right. It's their cortisol is so high, and they're so stressed out. And so when you eat that as a human, aren't you absorbing their stress and cortisol, or is that crazy? Well, I think depends on how kind of open you are to the woo, right? I mean, I'm like very in tune with energy. So, so that's why I asked that. Yeah. For me, animal wellness and human wellness are one and the same thing. Yeah. And I look at how many women in America are anxious. I mean, statistics are insane. Women eat so much chicken and chicken is the most stressful. Like they're raised actually in the dark. They're de-beaked so they don't peck each other because they're under so much stress. They're fed a slurry. Can you imagine like their beaks are cut off and their tongue and they're just eating a slurry? I mean, it's an intensely stressful environment. I'm not a chicken fan. So, but think about how many women eat primarily chicken, 
you know, because it's leaner, et cetera, and how much anxiety it is. And I'm going to connect the dots, but there's not science to support that. Well, this is what I want to talk about. Red meat in some areas and some communities has a bad name, right? Mm -hmm. And so they go, I'm going to go to chicken. I'm going to go to fish. But then they don't think about the things you're talking about here, which is like, is that chicken actually good either? Is it being sustainably raised? Is it, you know, is it eating sloth, whatever, trash, whatever the hell they're eating? My problem with a lot of the conversation is like, they'll make blanket statements, say red meat is bad. It's bad for you. That's like not, maybe the red meat you're describing could be bad for you. But that leads me to my next question is, okay, if you have sustainably grown and raised calves and meat, what are the health benefits to grass-fed beef? Little pause for a hot tip. Thrive Market, you know it. Learn it, live it, love it. If you don't, it's the best. It comes straight to your door. You get to curate your shopping experience. It's simple. It's affordable. It's the best. It takes the middleman out of everything. They do sort of the curation for you. So you know you're getting organic, healthy, um, minimal ingredients, all the good stuff. Now, specifically, I have been starting to look at baby food, okay? This has been something that I feel like I need to research more on, but I have found a brand on Thrive Market that I'm absolutely obsessed with and I can't wait to give our daughter and that is Serenity Kids. So if you're out there and you're a mom and you want to have stuff delivered to your door, definitely check out Serenity Kids. That has definitely been my favorite brand that I have seen and they have it on Thrive, which is so amazing. Anyway, I thought I would shout that out. I obviously don't have a kid yet, but it is 20% off right now, which is unbelievable. Everything on Thrive Market is 20 to 50% below retail. Like Lauren said, they take the middleman out. They source all the best ingredients. You can shop by diets if you have a specific diet, whether you're gluten-free, organic, paleo, raw, vegan, vegetarian, they have it all. Beauty supplies, household supplies, meat and seafood, wine, vitamins, supplements, beauty. So when Lauren says it comes straight to your door, it really all does come straight to your door because they have everything. I have basically one order that I place every single month. I just go on my profile and click reorder and it comes every single month straight to our house. I hate going to the grocery store. I don't know anybody that does. Listen, it's 2019. It's time to save time, optimize, use services like Thrive that will help enhance your life for the better. And today, as always, we have a special offer. They are offering three different membership options to suit your lifestyle. One month membership for just $9.95 a month, a three month membership for just $6.65 a month, and what we have, the 12 month membership for just $5 a month. Enjoy up to $20 of shopping credit when you join today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash skinny. Again, that's thrivemarket.com slash skinny. And save up to $20 of shopping credit when you join today. Now back to Anya. It's radically different for your body, and it has to do with the fat profile. Grasses are rich in omega-3 fats. Omega-6 fats come from seeds. So beef that's been raised 100% and finished on grass has a one-to-one omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, which is the perfect ratio for the human Mm -hmm. diet. Beef that's raised on a confinement diet is anywhere from one to 20 to one to 30 of omega-3s to omega-6s. So it's a toxic ratio for your body. That's the biggest documented difference. Now, if I get into the kind of woo of it or things that I've observed, in my operations, our beef are raised till 26 months typically. In confinement, they're slaughtered around 16 months. So my beef, when the time that they're processed, are actually smaller, right? So they achieve a higher weight in two-thirds of the time. That fast-growing muscle fiber I think is more difficult to digest. So Lauren was mentioning, uh, why is your meat taste so much cleaner and better? And that fast growing fiber to my observation, right? And also in extremists, there's certain types of like pathologies that develop in meat that are considered defects. One of them is called woody breast in chicken that comes from super fast growing protein. It actually gets 
strips that people, when they, a consumer finds it, they think it's wood. It's that tough. So my thinking is if there's that in the extreme case, there's a other version in the less extreme case. And it's just about the actual meat fibers grow very quickly. They're difficult to digest. That's my observation on it. The really clear difference for you as a consumer, though, is that three to six ratio. So is it crazy that I get energy off your meat? Not at all. I'm vibing on that all day long because I yeah. I mean, the question for me of like animal wellness and human wellness, we share 99% of our DNA with these animals. To think about what a confinement animal is like, imagine being like in fourth grade in the height of like prepubescent hormones, right? Because they're all like basically pushed to the edge of puberty, some maturity, and then they're processed. So imagine being in that recess and it being like twice as packed with people and dark and you don't know where the food is and you don't know where your friends are and you haven't ever met your mom. Yeah, it's fucked up. That's the analogous situation for a human if you were to put yourself in that. So if you eat an animal that energetically their entire life is in that huge state of of adrenaline response, cortisol response, maladaptive diet, huge inflammation. And I look at the, you know, the diet related diseases here and in the US and they're exactly the things that we push the animals to do. We create obesity in our confinement. With your animals, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're creating obesity. And then we're surprised that obesity is an endemic in the U.S. It's like, yeah, but we actually push our primary source of protein to, in an obesogenic environment, to hit obesity very, very quickly and to grow. I mean, they're not obese technically, but they're on that path of very, very rapid weight gain. Our chickens on our farm take eight to 10 weeks to reach two and a half pounds. Tyson, it's two weeks. Wow. So it's one quarter of the time. And it's not a different breed even. It's just about access to fresh air and sunlight. So people think it's all about hormones and antibiotics. And it kind of is. Antibiotics are big on weight gain. They really do facilitate weight gain. But it's more about this creating this intense, high stressful environment. We all know what that's like. You're under a huge amount of stress. You're sick. That's when you gain weight. We right? talk about it all the time on the show. Sense. We've had hormones experts on the show saying, you know, like if you get your hormones out of whack and imbalanced, then it's easy to gain weight because mm-hmm. you're out of whack. It makes complete sense what you're saying. And it's funny. I, and we talked about this off there right when you came in, but my wife has never been a big red meat eater. I mean, she dabbles here and there. When we went to your restaurant, Belcampo, with our friend Khalil, who's been on this show many times, he ordered liver. I've never seen Lauren really eat any kind of red meat, let alone liver. She dove into this liver like it was her last meal, and I couldn't believe it. It's intuition. When you're pregnant, you were saying earlier, like, there's intuition that you have when you're pregnant. Like, I tell him, like, right now, I feel like a clairvoyant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, my body wanted liver. And, and I listened to my body. It woke her up. I listen. I also, I don't like the word balance, but I just really try to listen to my body. And at that moment, I wanted liver and I was going to eat it. Mm-hmm. And I did get energy from yeah. it, which is so wild. Another thing that I noticed, and this is maybe another crazy thing, is that my dogs, when I'm eating, like, an In-N-Out burger, like, they'll beg because they're dogs. But with your burger... My dogs are like throwing and yeah. thrusting their body against <laughs> me, like like I they I they if I don't give them a piece of Bel Campo burger, it's they're gonna off themselves. Or I something. have to leave the room. It's too intense. It's <laughs> no, so- he, we have to literally bring her upstairs. Yeah. We do make dog food too. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. It's in the freezer case. It's labeled dog grind. So yeah, I was gonna them. ask you about that because right now they're doing tiki dog, and I feel like you're gonna tell me something bad about that. I don't know much about it. I mean the. Reality is that most available protein, unless it's really clearly marked, is going to be from confinement. Okay. Um, And it's made in Thailand and who knows. I would love to try your dog food because I was literally the whole time you've been talking. I'm like, but what am I feeding my dogs? Bone broth is also amazing for dogs. Boone was having bone broth. So since you love animals, when it comes to butchering animals on your farm, like how... I don't want to say how you've made peace with that. What's your perspective on it now? So, I mean, I guess there's a contradiction implicit in that. I mean, I came 
at this industry out of compassion for animals. I look at the same way as a hunter who hunts his own food. Like, I actually think that's more sustainable and more compassionate than getting it just from the meat market. Yeah. I mean, part of it for me, if I can just dive deep into my true motivation, it's that I see huge beauty in ecosystems. And I see huge beauty in regeneration. You know, I think things that are rooted and make sense and that are contributing to the earth. Like I look at our farm and I feel like, man, that's something I'm incredibly proud of, you know, having been a part of leading that team and building that operation. Because we've gone from the farm being kind of dusty and dry and not very beautiful to lush and biodiverse and lots of different wild species engaging with it. So to me, part of it is like, I love animals because of just loving nature and wanting to be part of a shift in the ecosystem. And then another part of like my drive as an entrepreneur is to show that there can be another way. You know, part of when I got into meat if I can get back to my journey, when I came back yeah, from Italy, it. I was eating a lot of meat at that time. I still am. But I gained about 40 pounds in, I'd say, probably six months, right when I moved back home to California, just like, boom. And I didn't feel like anything had really changed in my diet. So when I started to figure that out and unwind it, I started to look at where my meat was coming from. So I started buying whole animals and actually getting them processed at the time. This is far before Mm -hmm. Belcampo. But that's where I first started to learn how it all worked. And in doing that, I kind of got the seed of like, man, well, that's a system that I want to change. Because for me, as a consumer who wanted to eat clean meat and not gain all this weight and feel, you know, lethargic and foggy, you know, I was just feeling like I was under a blanket all the time. I didn't feel good. And it was 2006. You know, it wasn't like there was all this amazing opportunity of food that there is now. I saw this chance to like be a challenge to that and to find a way to make that the new mainstream or at least an option. Right. So what that time my life revealed to me is just how hard it is to get access to clean meat. And then by virtue of that, it's like, wow, all these animals are living in these really torturous circumstances. When I say I'm an animal lover, I'd say I'm just broadly in love with the idea of creating a system that animals can thrive and flourish in, still be a healthy part of our diet, but be treated with dignity, respect. You know, and I focus on evolutionary diet, mating and child rearing. Right. So those three aspects is where we try to look at how do we have maximum kindness and integrity. So and we designed our production systems at our farm at Belcampo. We looked at, okay, what's the best evolutionary diet? Like, let's look at what these animals evolved eating. What's the best way for them to mate? And what's the best way for them to birth and then rear their young? So those are the kind of the pivotal points in life, right, mm-hmm. in terms of where you can thrive. So that was how we oriented. So for me, the beauty of it and the love for animals is like building a system where this can all be working in concert with nature in a way that feels high integrity in every aspect and feels kind. Now, the animals that we produce obviously do get processed in our plant and we have a... We say processed because we keep saying it. it's, it's butchering. It's killed. They're yeah, killed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I used to be much more aggressive about that. And I mm-hmm. realized I was sort of unnecessarily provocative, you know, because yeah. <laughs> they're slaughtered. It is a slaughterhouse. We call it the butchery. We actually built the first new slaughterhouse to be built in California in 50 years and opened it in 2012 in Wairika. We process all of our animals there, all seven species that we raise in the farm. And the reason we built one is that there was no way to actually find a slaughterhouse in California that could process the animals with the dignity and practices that we wanted to do. As a former vegetarian, Mm -hmm. and obviously like these conversations always, people have their different opinions and perspectives, but how do you now speak to or address vegetarians and vegans? My sense is that there is a small portion of the population 
that thrive on a vegetarian and vegan diet. Mm-hmm. If you're one of those people, awesome. You know, you may have found your diet, right? I think the majority of people are healthier on protein. And there's some really compelling data about this. You know, one is that if a woman eats meat in her childhood and then becomes a vegetarian as a teenager and doesn't eat meat again until she has children, she will actually hold in her body certain DHAs and essential amino acids that she only can get from meat for her fetus. That's how important those proteins are. So people who are lifelong vegetarians, right, or born vegetarian don't have that, right? It's not things you can get from the air. But if you were eating meat at any point of your life as a female and then stop, even if it's for 30 years, your body is still holding on to those essential amino acids. That's how important they are for your fetus. Let me ask you this about the fetus just because I'm pregnant because I have this question. So say someone's a vegetarian. They've been a vegetarian for a long time or a pescatarian and Mm -hmm. they just eat fish and they get pregnant. Based on research, and this is just your opinion, would you recommend that they start eating meat because they're pregnant? Yeah, there's some amazing research actually done at the University of Santa Barbara that shows a higher statistical correlation between access to high quality proteins in a mother's diet and their child's eventual IQ and performance on standardized tests than to their country's economic index. Like that's bananas, wow. right? Like that. So I'd say your baby's brain, I would highly recommend it. I mean, that that that's data that's done. It's like 30 nations. Well, for studied. adults too. So I, think... I need a burger in bed tonight, Michael. <laughs> I, but I think... Also your breast milk quality when you're eating meat and lactating is also extremely important because you pass omega-3s on. And DHAs. And yeah, you can get those in some, certain supplements. That's another question. But can like, you really you get all of them? Like, I, especially for the brain. I think like you, there's certain supplements that I think can substitute for me. But like really like some of the things you need for your brain, I don't know where you can necessarily get them outside of healthy meat. That's the question. You know, I, there's so much we don't know about how nutrition works together. And, you know, I take supplements. I think they're great. But I feel like there's always these countervailing kind of forces in natural food and in vibrant, healthy food that you don't get from the pill. You don't get how things work together, right? So I know that in meat, we're just now learning like that there's different types of proteins within collagen. You know, actually there's certain types of collagens that are less digestible. And so we're learning all this subtlety now. Do the guys who are making those pills know that in this minute? I don't know. Is that information transparent to you on the label? I don't know. So I don't think we know enough, but we know that the meats themselves as whole products have that. But it's a tough ethical choice. And I actually have a huge amount of compassion for people who say, well, I can't imagine an animal dying to support my life. I mean, there's some reasons that I'd say, hey, if that's your belief on this, then you should you know, live that truth. But if you're looking at it from a either carbon perspective or from a health perspective, I would strongly challenge that decision. Yeah, and carbon, I, would, I would too. I mean, carbon, we're, our farm is climate positive, carbon negative. We sequester carbon. I mean, the, all the data about water usage and carbon is from confinement farms, right? It's like saying, oh, I'm going to get to that building over there. I'm going to walk and I'm going to then second time I'm going to take a Hummer, right? Or a helicopter, right? And the carbon footprint of Anya getting to that building is one and the same, yeah. right? It's like you can't conflate those two. Grass-fed and finished is radically different in terms of environmental impact. My point on like, and I've said this on the show before about thinking that, you know, hunting and killing your own food, butchering your own food is actually more sustainable and actually more responsible than just going to the store and picking it up. It's like us as human beings, we've evolved to this place where it's like out of sight, out of mind. Like mm-hmm. if I just go to the store and pick up a, you know, some meat, that's in some way more humane than me actually going and killing it right. myself. But really it's like if you if you backtrack it and think of the way that animal got there and the way it was butchered and the, the life it lived before it got put in that store. 
I would argue that a lot of these hunters that hunt one animal and, and keep meat for, you know, months and months is actually much more responsible and much more sustainable. You know, I, I would also say... People say, how can you kill your meat? It's like, well, you're just getting it from somebody else that did that, but yeah. in not a, such a responsible way. Well, meat's also this huge risk factor. I mean, a lot of ways it's the riskiest food that we eat. Right? It has a high potential for contamination because it's so appealing, right, to bacteria as well as to us. So it's such a great substrate for things. So my intuition is get closer to the source, get it less processed. You know, mm -hmm. I, I sell a good amount of processed meat. So and I'm really proud of, I you know, we're now launching cooked meatballs and we have bacon and all sorts of you know, bone broth of stuff. So we do a lot of cooked products as well. To the attentive consumer, you want to know more, not less. And you want to go as far down the food chain towards the source as you can with meat because of the risks associated with protein. I wouldn't outsource my protein as a, you know, just if you're going to outsource anything, you know, you can take your spirulina powder and don't bother making that. You can have somebody else dehydrate your raisins. You know, if you're going to take anything on, I would take the meat cookery on because that's really a high risk, right? And, you know, I think also there's something crazy to me about going to the grocery store and feeling desensitized. You know, I look at how like sort of fundamentally anti-sensual so much of the meat presentation is. Like everything's like square or yep. round or the chicken fingers are shaped like a star. And everybody's afraid to have things that look like real meat, have bones, have any kind of personality to them because it's like it makes it a safer choice. It feels more sterile. It's like I'm having a cracker and then I'm also having a square thing. It happens to be meat. That to me is something we've been convinced as consumers is better for us. But I challenge you like, get closer to the source. Don't accept square meats. Well, you know? it's marketing, right? It's like these these companies are have evolved over time to be smart enough to know like this is the presentation to get people to buy this. And if there's a big bone sticking out, they're like, okay, that's not as appealing to somebody's, you know. People associate these hypersterile packaged with safety. Yeah. And what they should be associated with safety is the thing wrapped in paper with a guy handing it to you. Remember you know? when we went to Spain and there was, what is well, it? Well, they call it like the hamon legs, you know? And hamon it's like legs, like yeah. hanging in the Which, house. It's, it they hang, out, they the hang it time. in the house. And I never, this is like 10 years ago. I'd never seen this. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's just such a different way than Americans do it. Mm -hmm. What are some benefits? And you can get specific as possible. Like you could say it brightens your eyes mm -hmm. of eating really good grass-fed meat. Speaking of some tasty cuts, you know what gets my blood pumping, Lauren? Oh, what is that, Michael? You and those work pant yoga pants by Beta Brand. <laughs> you do get excited, don't you? Okay, guys, talked about these a hundred times on the podcast. They're stylish. They're comfortable. You can wear them to work. You can wear them to yoga. You can wear them wherever you want because, like I said, they are comfortable. So... I like the black ones. We've gone over this. I like dark pants, preferably, especially now that I feel like uh, Violet from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when she turns into a blueberry right now. But anyways, these make getting dressed very, very easy. They also make packing for a trip a breeze. They have bootleg, straight leg, skinny, cropped, six button, and wide leg. So you get a lot of different options and you can sort of pick what flatters your shape. Everyone's shape is different. I personally prefer a skinny jean, especially right now. I need like all the flattering I can get. You know what I mean? They have dozens of colors, patterns, cuts, styles. So you can sort of, like I said, do what works for you here. And not only does Beta Brand have office wear, they also have premium denim. So make sure to sort of stock the site. And they're all super comfortable. It's so important to be comfortable. There's nothing worse than walking around with pants that are too tight and wanting to unbutton them every chance you get. Anyway, so Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are the one you want to go for. I'm 
telling you, and especially because they stay wrinkle-free. That's very important to me since I'm always on the go. You've got to try a pair of these pants from Beta Brand. Trust me, you guys are going to love them. I know it. And you get 20% off at betabrand.com skinny. So don't wait. See for yourself why millions of women agree that these are the most comfortable dress pants ever. Go to betabrand.com skinny for 20% off. That's B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com skinny. All right, let's get back to those tasty cuts, Michael. I'd say starting from the aesthetics, it's great for your hair, skin, and nails. Collagen, primarily, which comes from connective tissue. And you don't just get that from bone broth. You can also get that from ground meat made from any cuts that are like our Bell Campbell burger has collagen in it. For example, only the very lean muscle tissue won't have any collagen, like the middle part of a ribeye or a filet mignon has no collagen. Everything else, including most ground meat, has a good dose of collagen. First thing for me is saying your skin tone and skin elasticity, your hair thickness and growth, your nails will be stronger. Those are just some basic aesthetic things. Gut health is definitely promoted by collagen. Collagen actually soothes the cilia, which are the little kind of fingers that line your stomach lining. And when you're inflamed, when people say they're inflamed, that's actually they're talking about their cilia. And these are these things that are actually shaped like fingers and they what how nutrients are absorbed. So when you're inflamed, you can't absorb nutrients and then you become deficient in things like vitamin B and vitamin D and all those, you know, good for you things. You can't absorb them, you get lethargic. So collagen helps basically soothe those and allows them to calm down enough to absorb nutrients on your behalf. Those are some really basic things. In terms of meat as a food stuff, it's just extremely high protein and rich in things like iron, zinc, vitamin B12. As well Where as do you get a vitamin B12 if not through meat? Like what's a, I mean, I know they have supplements and you can get shots, but like really like what is a, outside of the grass-fed meat, like what is a good source of vitamin B12? It's a hard nutrient. Yeah, I don't it's know. It's hard to find. Exactly. And you need it. Yeah. And also things like creatine, which you can also get mm-hmm. in in powders, luteum. There's a, a number of like micronutrients that people who are really into health are aware of. But the, the top ones is really that iron, folate, zinc. What are those associated with folate? All about brain health and babies and, you know, babies' brain health as well. Iron is energy, supports a lot of different immune functions. Zinc is great for your immune system. So they're all things that are just generally, it's sort of like your basic package of health, right? We're not talking about obscure like lion's mane or, you know, like little things out in the periphery that can take you from awesome to amazing, right? But these are like your fundamentals of human health. Meat's about the building blocks, high protein and efficient, fairly low calorie, depending on which cuts and how you prepare them. So it sounds like I should have another burger tonight. I'm getting hungry here. I know. I'm getting hungry too. I, I want to go back a little bit. So listen, you've done a lot here. you got all these amazing restaurants. you got this farm. Like, How do you actually go about obtaining a farm and building it and working with all these farms? I'm sure there's a, a, a crazy story involved. There's a lot of crazy stories. Right. I, I mean, I started the company with my business partner, who still is my business partner. Okay. He's the majority owner. He had sold a financial services company and wanted to make an investment in sustainable agriculture that was transformative. Okay. I think really out of a place of a legacy project for him. Mm-hmm. And we started the company together in 2012. I had built and sold two different companies at that time back in the US. I had this background in Europe and a really great kind of understanding of premium what we call value-added foods, things like cheeses and cured mm-hmm. meats, et cetera. So I was in an interesting position where I knew kind of enough to be dangerous about a lot of different types of handmade foods. And we started in 2012 with uh, 6,000 acres that he already owned. Okay. Um, in, he had bought. Is that up? Uh, in, in Mount Shasta, okay. at the base of Mount Shasta. Beautiful okay. farmland. Very affordable for California, too. An operation like ours you could never do in SoCal or in, say, like Sonoma or something. It's a, you know, we're talking very low uh, land values for California. He had bought some land effectively kind of as an investment property. And I worked with him on a business plan 
pitched him on the idea of Belcampo back in 2011. We started it in 2012. And between 11 and 12, I bought the land for the slaughterhouse and we built the slaughterhouse. So we opened our slaughterhouse on November 9th and we opened our first restaurant, I think on November 21st of 2012. So that was a mess. Dude, um, you guys moved fast. It was it was crazy um, because you know I was all... like doing the math in my head. I'm like man, that's 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 a lot of execution right there. Yeah. So basically, between 20, end of 2012 through 2015, I think I basically just made every mistake in the book. We had a restaurant. It was all about whole animal utilization in the early years. I was more on the, let's see if I can get people to cook more and encourage people to eat liver. And it was a bit ahead of its time, mm-hmm. honestly. I think now that pendulum is swinging. But by 15, we started to really get some buzz. I opened down here in LA as well at Grand Central. We started to get the buzz about the burger. You know, it was actually really cool because one of my dreams had been, man, if I can create the win-win where it's the best tasting thing and it's also hands down the best thing for the environment, that's amazing. That's what I want to do. Because I always feel like there's a lot of ethical brands where you're like, oh, I guess I'll buy that one. (laughs) But you know, it's not the most delicious, right? So I wanted to be the win-win. Listen, ethical or not, like it has to taste good. You can't just bite off a piece of cardboard and be like, well, it's sustainable and it's ethical. Like you can't can't do it. You, You know, you only live once. Yeah. So tell us about the bone broth. I want to know more about the bone broth. So I started making the bone broth in 14, in 2014. You know, I had that background in Europe and had tasted it then and loved the benefits. I make it at home all the time. And I opened in downtown and I had been to New York and seen a restaurant or two that was serving it in cups. And I was like, I should try doing that. And so I started it there in Grand Central. We were selling it by the cup. And then I opened in West Hollywood and it started to just percolate. And it was just two things in my career that at Belcampo where I sort of stood back and other things too, where you, you know, when you just hit some virality, like you meet a need and you meet an unmet need. And, and it's, it's a really, niche. Yeah. And it was really cool. So I remember sitting in West Third when we opened there and seeing like these like really beautiful LA women coming in and buying like 14 quarts, you know, and they're like $17 a quart. It's a lot of money. And I was, what the heck is going on? And we couldn't keep up with supply. So then at that point, we were a little haphazard. We were making it in the different kitchens using, and initially it was whole animal optimization because we were paying to throw away bones, right? I was like, let's just like on a lark, try this out. Started going gangbusters. And then I spent about six months really standardizing the recipe. And we moved production to our central farm kitchen. And then we also use waste from our butcher shops and restaurants and make it there. We basically then I started to see we had some virality I really worked on the recipe with our farm kitchen guy. I mean, I feel like I have the best tasting bone broth in the business. It just tastes delicious. And part of it is just the great bones. But we also have, you know, it's five pounds of bone per cup of broth. And isn't there like an oil or something that you guys have in there? Like there's something at the top that is different than other bone broths. There'll be a little bit of fat usually. It's the fat. Yeah. Okay. A little bit of fat. I like that. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, we have poultry, we have beef and pork, and we also sell lamb bone broth. So we do all three species. And uh, now our poultry is our bestseller. It's an amazing part of our business. It's so cool too, because bones are the memory of an animal, right? So it's like a lot of toxicity is stored in bones. So if you're eating, say, marrow, I would never eat confinement meat, but especially don't eat confinement marrow because actually marrow is, you know, that's where brain cells are generated. It's a, it's a real like motor of growth for the animal. And it's actually, and actually blood cells are produced from marrow, right? Uh, so it's an amazingly rich functional part of the animal, but things like BPAs, heavy leads, metals, toxicity are held in marrow and they're also held in organs. So for anybody who's listening, who wants to eat more organ meat, 
be double, triple cautious because liver, what's the liver do, right? Yeah, filters. Yeah. filters. So that's why people who drink too much have liver problems because liver is trying to filter that toxicity around. So in animals, it has the same function. So if you have an animal with a heavy toxicity load, that liver is going to be holding on to that. It'll be cleaning the animal and the same with kidneys. So you actually have to be super cautious. So I love that our bones are... A, they're really strong. I've heard this comment from my mother was the first person who she said, you know, I've been getting the chickens now that you've been growing. And she's like, I can't break the wishbones. Like I can't break the wishbones. She said, my chickens from Whole Foods, I can just snap the wishbones and I can't break them. I was like, that's kind of a head scratcher. It's sort of funny. And then I did it and I saw them. I'm like, wow, the bones are so much richer. And then I learned like, oh, because we're actually in a volcanic area. We're feeding on natural pasture. There's lots of calcium in there. So there's lots of reasons why that's a richer and healthier pasture for them. So the bones hold that health. They are the memory. They are the residue of whatever toxicity that animal's been exposed to. I love that we're able to extract every ounce of value. And that's where I talk about like honoring the animal Something like 40% of meat produced in the U.S. is actually thrown away. You know, so we raise animals in these stressful, awful conditions. And then we kill them in awful yeah. conditions and then we throw them away. It's like, really, what's the point? You know, and then, you know, the toxicity for humans, they documented that if you live within two miles of a CAFO, you have like double the risk of low birth rate and miscarriages. Wow. So it's like, it's a human toxicity. It's not just about eating them. Even if you live close by, you're going to get that toxicity. So we're building a system that's terrible for animals and terrible for people and terrible for the environments. And then we throw it away. So with our system, we have extremely low waste and we actually use all those bones in the broth as well. So that, that and to me benefits of bone broth, like just, I know there's so many. It's really high protein and very lean. So if you're looking to lean out, it's a great way to get a super high protein, very, very low calorie. The protein in bone broth is all collagen and gelatin is a part of collagen. So gelatin and collagen are one and the same. If you're not buying Belcampo bone broth, be very suspect of any bone broth that is not thick when you take it out of the refrigerator. It should be solid or quite jiggly, right? You notice that from our bone broth, it's like viscous and thick. Mm-hmm. That's a sign that there's high collagen. If it doesn't have that, it doesn't have any of the collagen. Collagen is really the one big health benefit from from bone broth. So collagen, which is protein, and then a lot of micronutrients as well. Some things that are documented, but nothing with a a tangible, like documented health benefit. Okay. And how often should you be drinking it? I drink so much bone broth. Can you drink too much? I don't think so. It definitely will help with all of your soft tissue. Just give you that advice when you're breastfeeding and your soft tissues are like giving up the ghost. Bone broth will really help because it's what your your breast tissue is made out of. And it's so interesting because I met with an Ayurvedic doctor and Mm -hmm. she was like, you need to be having bone broth every single day of your pregnancy. And then I met with a doula. She was like, you need to be having bone broth every day of your pregnancy. And so it's like across the board, it's something I think everyone agrees on. It also really helps with healing. So even things like cuts in your skin. I've recently read a study that if you have like an ACL or a ligament injury, bone broth with lemon in it or collagen plus vitamin C can double your recovery time. And so you can make it twice as fast, you know, so half the time. So it's amazing. So that's also in recovery after childbirth because there's so much strain on your soft tissue it'll be really helpful. But I drink about a quart a day. That's a lot. Think about it evolutionarily. We didn't evolve eating steaks. Sure. We ate basically boiled meat, right? We ate meat from old animals because animals served a function in the farm, right, for their whole lives. And then they were turned into meat after that function had been exhausted. So when we ate beef, we ate, it was like we're eating the tractor. You know, it's like we pulled the cart for eight, 10 years or produced milk for eight, 10 years. And then when that functionality is spent, then it would turn into- And you got to put old Betsy down and 
And that me was super high in connective tissue. Laura doesn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Old Betsy. Well, I was just thinking about the milk cow, you know? My Pilates teacher's named Betsy. (laughs) Can you get more creative? So let me ask you this. So for, say you're a listener to the show, and we have a couple, and they're sitting there. Maybe they've they've bought into the story that red meat is not good for them. And so now they've heard this conversation. They're saying, hmm, maybe I do want to get back into eating sustainable grass-fed meat. What is something we could tell them to, a a place for them to start and and some of the benefits they can understand? Because I think, like I said, and I've talked about this a lot, is that the blanket statement that red meat is bad, because there's a lot of documentaries, a lot of people saying that, is just, in my opinion, not true. And like I'll I'll make that statement here. So what would you tell those individuals that are now like, hmm, maybe I actually am open to this perspective? I'd start with ground meat. The revolution's happening. I mean, there's grass-fed and finished ground meat available in the freezer section of pretty much every grocery store now, and there wasn't even a year ago, right? So it's it's everywhere now, at least the ground product. I'd say encourage the people to, to start by trying that. I also think inform yourself. Read about the carbon footprint of grass-fed and finished meat. You know, become an informed consumer. Uh, read about the health benefits of meat. If you're already on the path of making the switch, you probably don't need to get informed about this as much. But one thing that's really shocking to me is there's rock solid scientific evidence that hyper-processed foods, you'll eat around 500 calories more a day. The more highly processed, the more calories you consume. Because, because you're probably because you're, you're not getting the nutrients, right? And you're craving the nutrients, you're craving as so you you're overeat. You're overeating because you're yeah. trying to satiate things that aren't in there. And, and all those meat substitutes are high, highly processed foods. So one thing to think about in terms of your health is that you're also going to be getting more satiety faster and you're going to be less likely to overeat and overconsume because you'll be getting that micronutrient dose that your body's actually, you're hungry because your body wants calories, but it also wants healing, right? And so if you're not, if you're feeding it nutritionally impoverished, highly processed foods, you're not getting that healing. Before we go, what can someone expect from your farm? Like if someone were to go there, can you give us a visual? Like really describe it. It is so amazing. It is the most beautiful just piece of land at the base of Mount Shasta. We host events. I actually host this, all the events there all summer long. They're called meat camps. And we also have a wellness retreat there. And it smells incredible. We have a big orchard with all these different organic fruits and a massive garden. People can go out and pick and we cook every day over the open fire. So it's just very idyllic. It's a picture of what things could be. I mean, when we saw Taro, it was our friend Taro and, and Khalil's pictures of him. Like, the first thing I told him, I was like, I don't know where these people are, but it looks amazing. I feel really energetically like uplifted when I'm there. Uh, it's a magical space. It's also just, Mount Shasta is just beautiful. It's this huge volcano. If you've seen pictures of it, it's stand. I mean, the volcanoes are special. Mountains are magical, but volcanoes are just spectacular. So you're always looking at that volcano and you're in a place where the earth has really been healed and restored. That concept of regenerative agriculture, that's agriculture that is putting back into the soil. And that's what we do, right? Many other farms do it too. It's a, a word that people are listening who want to eat better quality meat should be looking for a local regenerative farm as much as they're looking for organic, right? And regenerative is always going to be a grass-fed and finished. And you can really feel that, you know, like the streams are clear, there's bald eagles, there's hawks, there's all kinds of animals and wildlife, and it's just alive. When my kids are up there in the summer, they're literally just like grabbing frogs all over the place. Cause, and I'm just so proud that I can be there with my kids and they're eating fruits and grabbing bugs and and everything's clean. You know, you're not like, oh, don't touch that or uh, wash your hands, right? That's amazing. What is like, what we do you think the biggest, the biggest lesson you've learned from working with these farmers is? I mean, there's probably so many. Well, but. that's our own farm, right? And then we're now going to be expanding to work with other farms. But my lesson is to dig deep into your integrity and your authenticity in your own path. You know, like I started doing this in 2012 and it didn't feel like 
it could ever be a reality. And now I feel the momentum of people wanting clean meat, wanting better health, being open to animal wellness and human wellness being connected. And it all came from like this digging down into what I knew authentically was going to be healthier for people and better in the long term. And now things are starting to shift. So that's really my takeaway is like, you know, you can root down and dig into beliefs. You know, there's a million things I feel that on the way. But the core belief of like, if I do the right thing and offer people a better product, sooner or later, people will be telling me, hey, I can eat your meat when I'm pregnant. I can't eat other meat. I knew that people would intuitively respond to that better product. And that's about like leaning into in, into integrity and belief. What's a book, a podcast or a resource that you can recommend to our audience? I think something maybe specifically with what we talked about today, if they want to learn more. I would start with Diana Rogers from Sustainable Dish. She is a ballsy farmer in the Northeast, and her whole platform is about kind of reputation of meat in the regenerative movement separated from confinement. So Diana Rogers at Sustainable Dish. She's a badass farmer, uh, another female rancher. I have one more question that that I want to ask. I, you highlighted the question for me well, to ask, but I can't pronounce no, no, what that I'm, says. So I'm, I'm like waiting for you so, to ask. So like, Tara's like, you need to ask. You have to ask. You said, what's a Lumerian and why do people believe they live in Mount Shasta? Tara. So I was talking about the energy of Shasta. A lot of people go to Shasta and just fill up water bottles from the springs and get their crystals recharged and do energy work there. It's a When you guys come up this summer, you'll get the sense of it's just a magical place. Like the water's magical. I'm packing my clear. bags right now. It's incredible. It's restorative in that true sense. And, and like many places that have a significant energy to them, there's a lot of theories about that energy. And one of the more prominent kind of kooky theories in that area, it's not the right word, but there's a belief that there's a prehistoric race of alien people that live at the top of the mountain that get in and out of the mountain when there's a pink cloud around the top of the mountain, which happens very frequently. I actually climbed Mount Shasta. I didn't see any of them, so I can't personally verify, but it is a very energetic mountain. And that particular community of people all wear white and live in the town of Mount Shasta and have a whole kind of affiliated set of beliefs that are associated with these giant pink people called the Lumerians. It's- I'll take anything pink. <laughs> there you go. This is, 100 per- this, is, this is 100% a tarot question. No wonder he asked that. This is like, yeah, so tarot, tarot wrote Santa, Santa sold shrooms. Now he should talk about the Lumeras. Is that Lume- how you say Lumer- it? Lumerians? Lumerians. Lumerians. Yeah. Lumerians. That's amazing. Now that you've answered it, now I know that. Okay. I'm like, okay, no wonder tarot no wonder. asked me. Yeah. Yeah. I believe, though, that, that you said the water and all that is energetically healing. I know this sounds crazy, but I truthfully think grounding like and putting your feet mm-hmm. in in nature and earthing cures hangovers and jet lag. Mm-hmm. And he the other day had a hangover and I was like, let's go to the beach. You said that you felt better afterwards I did feel and you better. put the, your the, feet in the listen, sand. It was the transitional period between getting me from where I was to the beach. That yeah, was the I pain. Did <laughs> <rock you> there. <laughs> I, I mean, was there, I, was fine, I mean uh, next time if I get pregnant, I just think that you should do a nice nine months no alcohol with me. Yeah, nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone find you? I'm at Anya Fernald on Instagram and at Belcampo Mico. That's our And then if farm. they want to come? We have five restaurants between Northern and Southern California, all on our website and one restaurant in Hudson Yards in New York City. Oh, rad. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's then also awesome. at belcampo.com, we can buy all of our meats online as And well. you can do what I do, lay in bed in the dark, watch <laughs> Housewives and Postmate that shit and make your husband bring it downstairs, 
Sometimes I even add sliced jalapenos on top. <laughs> I'm probably going to get one tonight now that I'm yeah, I know. I think we got to get one tonight. <laughs> for sure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank that you. was so informative. Thank awesome. you. Hope that episode brought you a ton of value. We have teamed up with Belcampo to do a fun little giveaway and give you guys a discount code. So if you're going to go on their site, it's belcampo.com, then be sure to get the bone broth. It is the best. It's the cleanest, as you can tell. I'm obsessed. The dogs are obsessed. Michael's obsessed. Pixie has it in her food every single day and Boone tries to lick it. Um, you can buy it on the website and use code SKINNY20 when you're checking out for 20% off. Then for a little giveaway, like always at the end of every episode, all you have to do is tell us your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram at the Skinny Confidential and follow Belcampo on Instagram and we will send one of you a $100 gift card. Think you guys will love it if you're not a vegetarian, of course. Um, but I think they do have vegetarian options. They have sweet potato fries, right, Michael? Yep. All right. With that, we will see you on Friday with Alexis Haynes and my sister Faye. It's a good episode all about pregnancy and babies. This episode was brought to you by Thrive Market, our favorite one-stop shop for all things grocery, household supplies, pet food, beauty, supplements. They've got it all and even wine now. Wine. Thrive Wine. Guys, to try Thrive, go to thrivemarket.com skinny to find a membership that fits your lifestyle again that's thrivemarket.com skinny to find a membership that fits your lifestyle everything is 25 to 50 percent below retail straight to your door thrivemarket.com skinny 